Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you to the voice of Ryan Treasure. I'm Bonnie D. I'm in the house. Happy to be here. I never remember when I'm doing the intro. For those of you watching us live streaming on LinkedIn and Facebook, whether I said the future is this way or that way. So I just said the future of now. We'll just go up in the air to the future and that's where it's going to be. I have a packed house today. I don't usually have five guests, but so many people want to talk about this exciting topic that I said, sure, why not? We're talking today about the future of manufacturing and AI. Come on, everything you have, everything you own was manufactured somewhere, we think. So we're gonna talk about the industry of manufacturing as broad as it is. And the question after that, I always like a question is, you want it when? So we'll be talking about that. I asked ChatGPT for some information about this topic, as you know, I always do. And then I decided to ask ChatGPT to write the whole intro for me. And it was lovely, very well worded, very articulate, but way too long and it would take up too much time. So thank you, ChatGPT. We'll just go with the abbreviated version. So I said, good morning. You need to be polite and greeting to your AI. I'm telling you all that. You get different answers if you say hello or please or good morning. So the answer I got back was good morning. How about that? It's not saying it. Well, it's well programmed. The future of manufacturing is closely intertwined with the advancement of artificial intelligence. That's AI. AI is revolutionizing the manufacturing industry by enabling automation, optimizing production processes, improving quality control, and enhancing overall operation efficiency. Doesn't everybody want that? Key aspects include smart manufacturing. I think we've been talking about that for years. Industrial automation, predictive maintenance. When is it going to break down? Let's fix it before it does. Quality control, de defect detection. We don't want stuff that's bad. We want it to be found before they ship it to us. Supply chain optimization, hot topic the past few years since the pandemic. Customization, personalization. That's an interesting one. You want it when, you want it how, and you want it for you. Oh my. Workforce augmentation and enhance safety. I also asked ChatGPT to send me some real movie quotes from fictional characters on loosely on the topic of manufacturing and technology. I have a couple quotes here, but I have a special one. First of all, I got one from Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times, 1936. We are not machines, we are men. I actually think that's from The, the Great Dictator, another movie of his. Field of Dreams, famous quote, if you build it, he will come. It was about Shoeless Joe Jackson, but think of the idea of if you build something in manufacturing, they will come. And then I had one from Jurassic Park. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Well, there's a little dark overtone to that. But the quote I really want to give you is one from Modern Times. In the movie, uh, it was a part-talky, satirical, romantic comedy film written and directed by Charlie Chaplin with his little tramp character. He's in a factory uh, called Electro Steel, and a group of salesmen come to Electric Steel, and they, they introduce their feeding machine, which will allow the boss to not stop production for lunch and get ahead of the competition. The human salesmen do not give the pitch. It's delivered by a mechanical salesman, a voice on a phonograph. Those of you in the audience, I tell you what, my panel, anybody know what a phonograph is? Is anybody old enough? 
All right, Danny. Okay, anybody else? A phone? Danny, just you and me. Oh, Josh is, is I haven't even introduced him yet. Josh is a little reluctant. A phonograph was commonly known as a record player. You'll put a disc on it, vinyl and a needle head on it, and it picked up the grooves and sound came out of it. Oh my goodness, what a prospect. So anyway, the voices were coming from there and the, uh, let's see, and they gesture at the machine. When the recording ends, the salesman suggests a demonstration because actions speak louder than words. Charlie Chaplin's character is chosen as the guinea pig for the demo. The feeding machine is a turning table around which are laid soup, a sandwich, corn on the cob, and pie, okay, lunch. A mouth-wiping device is attached near the headrest. Charlie's first few bites go well, and then the soup spills all over him. The corn on the cob spins madly. The pie goes in his face. After each calamity, the mouth wiper appears on the scene to pat his mouth, and I don't have to tell you the rest of that. It was a disaster. So that was how they wanted to make manufacturing more efficient, and I don't think any of us would want that. So let me tell you who my special guests are today. Wave when I call your name. I'm all excited here. We have Philip Schumann, S-C-H-U-M-E, if you want to look him up, if you're just listening to us on the Voice America Business Channel. We have Danny Smith. Hi, Danny. Wave hello. We have Srinivas Nidamati. Hello, Srinivas. Welcome. Happy to have you here. Jorge Lozano. Jorge, welcome. And I like the way you did your sound check backwards. You did in Spanish. I did mine in French. And we have Josh Leith. Josh, wave hello. And I'm going to ask them for their take on the future of manufacturing and AI. You want it when? Okay, let's leave it there. So Bonnie D in the house, happy to be here. Let's go around the table. Let's start with Philip. I'm going to put you on full screen speaker view. You're a star today, Philip, what you always are. And Philip, would you take about two and a half to three minutes because we've got a packed house here today and tell us who you are, what you do, what's your relationship to manufacturing and AI and why should people take your word for what's going to happen? That's a lot of pressure. Philip, go ahead. All right, thank you very much for having me here, Bonnie. So let me start with kind of where I come from. Being from the land that loves processes, Germany, we love standardization, we love optimization. That is where I'm from and that is really deeply inside of me. For a long time, I was working with companies to optimize their business processes. For a long time, just on the back end, uh, things around finance and accounting and things like that. <clears throat> but at some point, there was a thinking of, well, how can we make this more integrated? And what do we do with companies where the core value stream is not in the back office, like with banking or insurances, but where the core value stream includes things like in manufacturing? So how do we connect machines and machine processes into end-to-end -end processes, get full insights, optimize these processes? So that's where IoT comes into play. And then over the last few years, really about 10 years, as the, the dawn of IoT sort of started and we, we had the technologies to start integrating these things, we're able to get the insights. That's when really my job changed from a business process automation and optimization expert to an I, uh, IoT and AI manufacturing expert, looking at processes, value streams, holistically optimizing everything end to end. Thank you very much. What's your thought? Is this a good thing? Is it we're going to end up with the Billows feeding machine if we go too far with AI? Just a yes or no answer, Philip. I'll ask everybody else the same thing. Are we going to end up with, with pie and spinning corn cobs and all that? What do you think? It's a yes. 
It's <laughs> a good thing. Yes, okay. it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's a good thing. Okay. But get, there, get, there will be some pie in the face, but eventually we end up at something that is uh, that works out well. Get your bib ready, gentlemen and ladies. We're going to Danny Smith next. Danny, full screen speaker view. Please introduce yourself. Who are you? Where do you come from? What do you do for a living? And why should people listen to you? Go ahead. So, hey, everybody. Thank uh, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Um, so, um, my current role, I'm a principal machine learning strategist at uh, Amazon Web Services. I have global responsibility for automotive and manufacturing. Um, I'm really an evangelist and an advisor for better decision making. That's my passion is better decision making. I'll tell you how I got there is um, uh, I, I graduated during a recession and I took the only job that was available. <clears throat> and then I somehow ended up working in a excuse me, a strategic planning group for a Fortune 300 industrial supply chain company, Norfolk Southern Railroad. So rail fans out there, you know. <laughs> so um, we were chairman special projects, right? And so Dave Good, who was the chairman at the time, he was a tax lawyer by trade and training and came up through the ranks. And he would ask me, uh, Danny, bring me the evidence for whatever decision. And he meant it from a lawyer standpoint, but it worked pretty pretty well. And so he was data driven before it was cool. And then my boss, who was um, in between me and Dave Good, was uh, the SVP of strategy, Jim McClellan. And um, he said, okay, you've got the data, now what? And so that led me into a graduate degree of decision uh, science uh, and also, you know, uh, influenced my entire career. And so I've had a 30-year uh, career around leveraging advanced mathematics, algorithms, and technology to help humans make better decisions. Um, and so uh, that's kind of what I do and what I'm passionate about. Uh, and, you know, for the last 15 years, it's in, been in advisory roles, whether it's uh, serving as an advisor or creating those, uh, you know, organizations uh, or leading them. So um, always like to help people make better decisions. I love where you said the person you worked with was data-driven before it was cool. Very, very well put. And I didn't know there were degrees in what you studied. Very, very interesting. Danny, thank you so much. Let's go around the table. One more seat to Srinivas. Please introduce yourself. Who are you? Why are you here? And what's your excitement about the topic? Welcome. Thank you, Bonnie. And nice to be here. And uh, hey, everybody. Uh, so yeah, you can uh, call me Srini, short name. Um, I'm uh, responsible in AWS for global solutions in manufacturing. By solutions, what we mean is well, how we can solve customers' manufacturing, customers' problems. Um, we partner with uh, people like uh, IBM and uh, and robotics manufacturer like uh, Yashkawa, ABB, Phonic. Um, so I'm responsible for automation and quality. You mentioned, uh, Bonnie, like predictive maintenance and so on because of automation is where the data is driven and data is produced and data could be then made you make get data could be used to improve those manufacturing processes and that's my job um so uh prior to aws uh, i've been only here for two years now but prior to that i was with uh, 21 years with abb robotics as a cto um, of their manufacturing systems so i built lines of as part of the organization that built lines from the ground up uh, robotic automation is as well as all other automation like conveyors and other stuff. So I spent uh, seven years in Germany, Philip, 
Um, so it was great uh, to I started with standardization actually, um, building standard machines and standard robotic machines, I would say. Um, then uh, prior to that, uh, I'm a PhD from Cambridge University. Um, I did, uh, and then I come from southern part of India. So having seen a global, uh, I ended up doing global uh, jobs. Um, so spent five years in UK, seven years in Germany, 16 years in US, and I come from India. So I've seen uh, uh, all of the cultures, work with all of them. It makes fun. I mean, you, you understand different uh, nationalities, how they work. And together, um, I'm a colleague of Danny in AWS, and we are trying to build AI solutions uh, using our cloud technologies. Thank you very much. What an interesting background. So many countries you've lived in. I was going to say, have suitcase, will travel. Wow. I don't know what you live out of these days. Thank you very much. Let's go on to Jorge Lozano. Jorge, welcome. Who are you and what are you doing here? Bonnie, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Jorge Lozano. I am originally from Mexico, but I currently live in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I am the head of data science, AI, and digital innovation at Steelcase. Now, Steelcase is a 110-year-old office furniture manufacturer, currently the largest office furniture manufacturer in the world, and commercial-grade office furniture. And one thing that characterizes this particular industry is that you need to bring scale to customization, choice, and control. And doing that for over 100 years has definitely been quite a challenge, but it will continue to be an even bigger challenge moving into, you know, just the future in itself. And so I've always been a strong believer on the power of leveraging technology to solve those type of business problems. Now, I started as an individual contributor, a data scientist early in my career. And through the years, over 10 years of practical experience, one of the biggest takeaways that I've had is that you should focus not on creating models, but on creating experiences. And so I think we've done an amazing job as a team in focusing on building experiences that leverage technology. And I think the future is going to be about that. And we should focus less on the specific models and technologies and focus more on the experiences that we want to create, whether it's in manufacturing or not. But today, specifically, I want to talk more about those experiences within the realm of manufacturing. So excited to be here. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. I'm, I am amazed. Philip, you helped me put together this panel and we are seeing representations of so many backgrounds, so many educational pedigrees, if you will, but so many countries, so much traveling, so much understanding as, as one of your guests already put it, Josh, I'll get to you in a second of cultures. Uh, and the manufacturing from the perspective of different cultures, different countries, different ways people want to make things and use things and buy things. Wow, interesting. Let's go to Josh Leith. Josh, welcome. Anybody wants to look him up? His last name is L-E-A-T-H. It's usually spelled with an I, but he changed it. I'm teasing you, Josh. Josh, let's hear who you are, why are you here, and what are you excited about for this topic? Welcome, Josh. Bonnie, thank you so much for having me. That is actually funny. It was, uh, I, I didn't feed you that information, but it was L-E-I-T-H many <laughs> generations ago. So it's a, a Scotch-Irish name from uh, Leith, Scotland. So good good guess there if, uh, if uh, that was a, uh, absolutely a guess. But uh, again, thank you for having me. Uh, my background is actually in economics and marketing. So I went to school here in Dayton, Ohio, Wright State University. My first 10 years were in product management. 
uh, for electronics primarily. So different components, tools, test equipment that supported a wide variety of manufacturers, primarily to repair electronics. Now this was consumer electronics, so it was always changing. So sometimes change for the good, sometimes change for the not so good, just for the sake of change, right? So uh, moved from that into the robotics industry, automation. Uh, I am a senior product manager for welding robotics here at Yaskawa. Uh, we are the number one market share for welding robotics in North America. Um, so it is something that, again, it, a lot of industries are changing and a lot of them are changing because they can't find labor. They can't source overseas. It's getting too expensive for them. So it is something that uh, I team up with our sales team. I, I kind of joke, I'm the middleman between the sales team and the engineers. Uh, so it's the yeah, the filter, if you will, between the, the customer and engineers to kind of really scope out what is needing for those, those automation solutions. So the ultimate solution of automation is to be able to, you know, enhance what the workers are already doing, taking somebody who is a skilled laborer, uh, multiply those skills, but it's it's getting harder and harder to find for these manufacturers. So it's something automotive has always been very good in with uh, automation. They have the dollars to invest. They have the output that's needed for highly redundant, highly repetitive tasks, but it is something now smaller manufacturers are looking at. You know, how do I afford this? How do I uh, rationalize this? Uh, to even larger manufacturers say there's there's too much um, variance in these processes. You know, how is uh, something like uh, paint or picking up individual springs or untangling things going to be automated when there's so much variance there? Uh, so like we're going to talk about today, the next step forward into that is how to make the machine smarter. So whether it's figuring out one minor task or multiple tasks, uh, what does that look like? Uh, automotive's asking that, uh, but small manufacturers are asking that, everybody in between. Uh, again, because it all kind of points back to the inability to find labor and inability to be competitive with um, yeah, just whether it's their neighbor or nations around the world for the manufacturing um, goods that they're, they're uh, entertaining there. Thank you very much, Josh. It was just a guess, but I come from a, a part of New York, actually in Queens, New York, and we had a Leith Place, L-E-I-T-H. Okay. I was aware Leith, of that. <laughs> Leith Road and all ah. over the place. And I looked at your name. I don't know what made me think of the A instead of the I, but I realized that I'm familiar with it with the I, so I'm, I'm going yeah. that it was an okay guess. What a Great panel. Great topic. I am so, so impressed with all of you. So let's move to the part of the show where I've asked you each to send me a fictional movie or TV character quote or a song lyric that literally has nothing to do with the topic of manufacturing and artificial intelligence. And you're going to relate it to the topic in your own words. Let's have some fun. And by the way, I think Charlie Chaplin would have had a blast listening to meeting all of you and hearing what's happening in manufacturing so many years after 1936. Well, it's coming up with another 13 years. It'll be It'll be a century ago, he had this vision of how can people make manufacturing smarter. Think about that. Almost 100 years ago. And he wrote a movie about it. How about that? So I'm going to go to Philip Shumay. And Philip, I'm going to read your quote. But first, I want to tell everybody it's from Harry Dunn, played by Jeff Daniels, to speaking to Lloyd Christmas, played by Jim Carrey. Does it get any better than that? The movie, of course, Dumb and Dumber, 1994, buddy comedy film directed by Peter Farrelly, who co-wrote the screenplay, and it's the first installment of the Dumb and Dumber franchise, the story of Lloyd Christmas and Harry Dunn, two dumb, what an interesting word, but well-meaning friends from Providence, Rhode Island, who set out on a cross-country trip to Aspen, Colorado, to return a briefcase full of money to its owner, 
thinking it was abandoned as a mistake, though it was actually left as a ransom. The movie had a gross of $247 million, and it's developed a cult following one of the best comedies of the 90s. Here's the line Philip has picked. You know, Lloyd, just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this and totally redeem yourself. <laughs> okay, Philip pressures on. Two, two and a half minutes. What does this have to do with manufacturing? Philip, come a little closer. We can hardly see you. We went, that's it. There you are. Go ahead. Go ahead. Right. So I think it actually reflects quite well the dynamics of an AI project to a degree. We start off with super high expectations, especially if you go through it for the first time. Um, a lot of clients that I work with, they don't understand data science or AI that well, and there's an expectation of throw data at a black box and some magic is happening and every problem is solved all of a sudden. But then as we're actually going through it, you know, we throw data at something and we start to figure something out and the results are, well, maybe not that impressive the first time around. We're slowly getting better. We're understanding the data better. We're understanding the relationship of the data to the process better. And the model is starting to increase in accuracy and performance. But still, there tend to be you know, doubts there. And we start from the, the big hype of, oh, the magic solution that, that solves all the problems to like, oh, can it actually do that? Um, but that is part of the engineering part of it, right, of building such solutions. And um, many times, you know, as we're going through that, we find this data point, we figure out, oh, if we extract data from a machine, maybe not 10 data points per second, but 100 data points per second, we see certain behavior patterns in there. And suddenly we have a predictor and suddenly the model picks up and we're getting to a point that it really starts to do all of the things that, you know, that we wanted it to do, that we understood from the get-go that it can do it, but it's a process to get there. So with that, it totally redeems itself. <laughs> very, very interesting. Thank you, Philip. Anybody have any quick comments on that? I don't usually do this during the quotes. I think everybody's just smiling. Thank you very much. Interesting to take a movie like that and apply it to what we're talking about, which is supposed to be smarter and smarter, not dumber and dumber. <laughs> <laughs> just thought of that. I'm thinking on the, on the spot here. Danny Smith, you picked a quote from a Buggles song. Video killed the radio star. I hope I have the right melody. And we can't rewind. We've gone too far. The song is 1979. It was their debut single by Island Records, included on their first album, The Age of Plastic. That's interesting. The song relates to concerns about and mixed attitudes toward 20th century inventions and machines for the media arts. I'm going to stop there. So again, video killed the radio star. We can't rewind. We've gone too far. Danny, no doom and gloom. Let's keep this happy. Go ahead, Danny. What does this have to do with our topic? Yeah, well, so it's a personal thing for me, right? And so, look, I, I grew up as a kid, you know, listening to radio stations and reading a lot of science fiction. And so when MTV came out, I actually had the privilege of watching the first video, which was the Buggles, Video Killed the Radio Star. And right then, you know, I read a bunch of science fiction, but right then I was like, wow, this is one technology eclipsing another technology and i'm there at the epicenter and as a kid i was like you know that that buggle song it's very um nostalgic for old technology and it's like regretful and stuff but what i realized was is that you know videos are just a lot better and so i grew up on mtv back when they were playing music videos um and sadly they no longer do right so you know showing my age but 
the transition of one technology to another can stir up nostalgia, can stir up regret, you know, missing the old technology. But there are benefits and exciting things about the new technology, too. And so a lot of my job, and it has been for the last 20 years, is getting getting people over their hesitancy, skepticism, uh, ignorance of AI technologies and how they could help in manufacturing. And there's a lot of cultural things or, or, you know, kind of philosophical things even around that, which I can explain later if you, if you drag me down that path. But I think, uh, you know, my personal experience of being at the epicenter of watching, you know, radio get taken over by video uh, in the music industry. And then, uh, you know, what it, what it meant to me and what it showed me, it, it influenced my career. So that's why I picked the quote. Thank you. And I missed that in my notes. Music, this was music video was the first one shown on MTV in the United States at 12.01 a.m. on the 1st of August, 1981. It was the first video on MTV Classic in the UK on 1st of March, 2010. Whoa. The song was number 40 on VH1's 100 Greatest Hit Wonders of the 80s, covered by many artists, and the single made the top 10 in Canada, Germany, New Zealand, South Africa, and only reached number 40 in the U.S. Thank you very, very much. And by the way, just so you know, Danny, the composition plays in D-flat major in common time at 132 beats a minute. It includes common pop characteristics and six basic chords, and they described it as musically complicated with suspended and minor ninth chords for a slightly different feel. I just wanted you to know I did my homework. Okay, thank you, Danny. That's interesting. I impressed myself. I don't know if anybody else. Let's go to Srinivas's quote. This is from Tony Stark, played by Robert Downey jr to jarvis j-a-r-v-i-s and this is voiced by paul bettany and the movie of course was iron man 2008 american superhero film uh, based on the marvel com marvel comics character iron man produced by marvel studios distributed by paramount the first of three series three films in the mcu marvel cinematic universe Tony Stark's first test in the Mark II suit with Jarvis, his personal AI system, an in-suit butler. Okay, and here's the quote. Jarvis, J, A, J period, A period, R period, V period, I period, S period. Jarvis, you got to run before you can walk. Ready? In three, two, one. Should of us? Take it over. Go ahead. Thank you, Ronnie. It's a, it's a fun quote because, you know, um, I can relate to that in several ways. Um, it's the whole Marvel universe started with that Iron Man movie, right? It's burst into open a lot of ideas for people. It's a lot of technology also to showcasing technology. I have two uh, key things I want to say why the quote relates to it, uh, because in what you see in the movie there is that uh, Iron Man is designing a very complex suit. Okay, it's a lot of uh, bells and wheels in it. And this AI assistant is guiding him throughout the process. Um, okay. And if you take a manufacturing, it is also very highly complex. You'll have conveyors built by somebody, you know, you have robots uh, built by someone else. And the manufacturer has to own and operate the system. So imagine if you have an AI assistant like that. You walk through the line, you're trying to tweak, you are trying to, let's say, increase cyclic time here, but it may have a knock-on effect because it may be products may not come quality. Um, so if AI assistant is real-time helping you, oh, don't, no, don't do that because you have to tune it this way, right? It is so much better to operate and manage the system. 
okay, from the design to the life cycle of the whole manufacturing system. And I strongly believe such an AI will happen. So that's one. The second thing is very fun part of that quote is at the speed of innovation, right? We tell our kids, we tell our everybody that you crawl, walk and run. But he says, no, sometimes it's okay to run before you walk because it's, it's a speed of innovation is where it's okay to fail. You go and try it. That's uh, typically because most of the manufacturers are tend to be very, very conservative. They're very afraid to introduce new technologies into the manufacturing. So it's okay to take a small off station, try out, try figure it out before you put it online. So, but don't hold back. So that's what I really want to see how I relate myself to this quote. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. Jorge has picked a quote from the movie Secondhand Lions, a 2003 American comedy drama film. Hub is the character played by the wonderful Robert Duvall. It's written and directed by Tom McCanley, story of an introverted 14-year-old Walter Caldwell, played by Haley Joe Osment, left by his irresponsible mother, oh my, played by the beautiful Kira Sedgwick, to live with his eccentric, reclusive bachelor great-uncles Hub and Garth McCann. Robert Duvall and Michael Caine on a ramshackle farm in Texas. They are said to be hiding a secret fortune. They're targeted by traveling salesmen. They sit on the porch with shotguns, shooting at anybody who comes to the house. And Christian Kane, I love him, as an actor, plays young hub. Walter is given a room in the attic and is not welcomed until his uncles realize he annoys the gold-digging relatives who visit with their children, blah, blah, blah. Here is the quote you picked. Sometimes the things that may or may not be true are the things a man needs to believe in the most. Oh, Jorge, that's heavy. Danny likes that. We're going to crochet that. Or we're going to spray paint it on a wall somewhere very quietly for you, Danny. Jorge, what does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. Well, I love this quote because I think it invites us to think about the possibilities. And that's exactly how we should approach the topic of the future and AI. Listen, when, when humans arrived on the moon, the process to get there didn't start by deriving the technology and then assuming that we could use that technology to get to the moon. It started with a dream, like we want to get there and we're going to work towards that. And so when we think about the future of manufacturing, we shouldn't be walking around with a hammer looking for a nail. We should be thinking about our predictions as our ambitions, our dreams, and our desires, and then work towards those. The more we can tie our predictions to the future that we want to build, to what we want to be when we grow up, the better our world will be. So, so I think this quote really ties that together, that whether it seems way too sci-fi for our times, that's exactly where we should focus our efforts on. Thank you very much. Very interesting. I have not seen the movie, but after I read about it, I really want to see it. Let's see who's next. We have Josh Leith. And Josh, I'm looking at your quote here. This is from Tracy Jordan played by Tracy Morgan, 30 Rock, American satirical sitcom TV series created by Tina Fey, originally aired on NBC from 2006 to 2013, based on her experiences as head writer for Saturday Night Live. And here is the quote. We have more important things to worry about, like, where are the French fries I did not ask for? You people need to anticipate me. <laughs> I think I know where you're going to go with this. Josh, take it away. Yeah, it's kind of funny when you ask that, because that really is one of my favorite TV quotes of all time. That's really a, a golden era of comedy and on NBC where you had uh, 
The Office, obviously 30 Rock, Community, all these great shows. But anyways, uh, I like the quote so much because it's so self-aware, so self-deprecating in that sense that, you know, he understands it's a uh, a quote of entitlement. And I think the episode was about his uh, getting an award, like the EGOT or whatever achievement uh, in the episode. So if you think about it, as far as when it, it kind of crosses into the land of manufacturing, it's the, you know, how do we, how do we not even know what's ahead? How do I do better forecasting? How do I do better supply chain management? How do I do better um, um, quality improvements? How do I do uh, incremental quality improvements over time after, you know, making the same part for uh, 10 years, 20 years and steel cases, you know, uh, you know, case probably some things that are still around from the, uh, you know, 50, 60 years ago on design. So how do I, I you know, have that continuous improvement as well as quality checks. So it's a lot of that uh, decision-making that we don't even realize that we have to do from a day-to-day standpoint. Some of it comes very naturally. Uh, some of it, you know, how do we anticipate what's coming next? How do we anticipate what's going to happen from a, a virus that goes global? My golly, you know, we, we kind of all live through that and uh, we kind of learned along the way. So uh, it, it relates very well to AI in the sense that, you know, being able to predict what are the true outcomes and have accurate outcomes and some kind of measurability uh, tied to those to, to know what I'm up against. And again, might be shortage of materials, uh, might be, again, how to make the next greatest gadget for consumer electronics, who knows. But uh, again, so many different ways you can go with that one. But I uh, love the quote, and I, I think it ties well into uh, this topic. <laughs> It certainly does. And I'm thinking on the topic of customization and personalization, Josh, mm-hmm. what if somebody, yeah. what if we get a brand new entrant into the movie star realm or the, the music industry and somebody says, wow, I'm going to pretend I'm Oprah and I'm going to give away a thousand customized, 10,000 customized pairs of sneakers to yeah. all of my fans who buy, I'm thinking Taylor Swift, of course, well, she's been around for a long time to, uh, and I want to customize them with everybody with their initials on them. And I want 10,000 pairs and I need them by two days before for Christmas and ship to places all over the world. Who would turn down that offer, but who would be able to do that? Anticipate. There you go. That's the word. Thank you very much for all the quotes. Philip liked that one. Philip, let's go into the prediction segment. Now we're going to keep this tight and I'm going to read. I put in to the chat privately for Philip, the prediction I'm picking number two for him. Philip's going to take about two minutes to unpack it as they say on the news and then anybody who wants to comment very briefly just wiggle one of your nice fingers at me and i will call you if nobody does that i will move on and danny i'm going to put a prediction in the chat for you in a moment so philip says ai likely in combination with quantum will ultimately make lights out manufacturing those are air quotes if you can't see me on voice america radio lights out manufacturing a reality by enable true end-to-end manufacturing process understanding across millions to billions of parameters and the vast complexity of their relationships wow it sounds like a term paper in one sentence there philip unpack that for me please go ahead i think it reflects a little bit on what uh, jorge mentioned earlier <clears throat> we go after desires dreams the mission to the moon and perhaps this is more reflective of the mission to the Mars, right? It is something that may be far away, but ultimately something that we're all striving towards, right? If you look at the manufacturing process right now, there's much more machines than, than we have humans on the shop floor in a, in a large scale environment. There's so many information that is being produced as part of the process way beyond what humans can comprehend at this point. Um, you know, we're talking currents, voltages, torques, all sorts of technical parameters, sound, 
um, temperatures, you know, so many things that are really difficult, complex relationships to each other um, to be made sense of, to really understand everything end to end and then be able to control. Right now, like I think Danny and, and Srini explained earlier, we're really focusing a lot around augmenting the workers. That's how currently manufacturing is working. It's, it's heavily driven um, through humans in control, right? Working with machines that, that build stuff. And we want to make the humans more um, informed and make them have, um, be able to have better decisions, faster decisions. And we build point solutions, different parts of the manufacturing environment that gets a little bit more automated, that has a little bit more end-to-end -end comprehensive analytics to it, control, set point optimizations to it. And that is going to grow, right? From point solutions to point solutions in the plant so that eventually we'll have the entire plant sort of connected together in a comprehensive understanding of all the relationships of the different parts, of the different machines, of the environment, of the supply chain relationship to the manufacturing process together. But to do that, we need much more, I think, powerful AI, powerful computational capabilities than what exists in the current state today, right? I think we have technologies that are gonna be able to get there. Um, and to really achieve that point, you know, perhaps ultimately it requires something like a quantum computer to have that um, capability and that computational power to it. Thank you very much, Philip. Any comments? Because, oh, Josh, go ahead. Sure. Yeah, I'd like to add to that as far as uh, if you look at automation, where it's gone through the last 30 years, it's always been the three Ds, the dull, dirty, the dangerous. Uh, lately, there's been a fourth D that everybody's talking about. It's deer. So things that are very uh, finesse type processes or things that require a lot of thought that aren't redundant like those others. Uh, so when you're looking at quality inspections, to Philip's point, if you want lights out um, manufacturing, you have to have some of those other type of processes like quality inspections, like paint. Uh, like adhering very small pieces together, like putting together wire harnesses, things that are, are almost impossible for automation as we've known it. Um, so I think that that fourth D really falls in line with where we're going with those iterative processes that, uh, that do require some decision-making. Um, but again, that, that dear sense of uh, intellect that humans have that machines lack today. But uh, again, I think it's the, the big next step. Thank you. Can you repeat the four Ds for me, please, Josh? Dull, dirty, dangerous, and dear. Thank you. And that's D-E-A-R. We'll get the A, the A in there. Yes, I don't know. D-E-I-R, yeah. -E I think, is a German word. Okay, <laughs> thank you very much. Danny, I'm going to go. We've got to move it along here. I want to get at least one prediction from each of you. Danny, I pick prediction number one. You say AI and machine learning, ML, alphabet soup, will become better accepted by operations teams. We're talking about the human side, which Philip alluded to. These teams will overcome their hesitancy, their skepticism, and or their distrust of technologies and embrace their use driven by the improvements they can provide. I'm going to stop there and let you unpack this for me, Danny. This is very interesting. We do want to talk about the people. Go ahead. Yeah, well, if, if you think about it, like who, who runs, works in manufacturing? What's their background? Well, they're all STEM, right? And so they all go through engineering. And, and look, I went to an engineering school. I went to Georgia Tech, so I'm, I'm one of them, right? And so what they're trained on is mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, process engineers, et cetera, is first principles of physics and deterministic models. And, you know, 
uh, all that stuff, right? And there's a culture. They're, so they're very innovative technologists, but AI and underneath it, machine learning, right there, these things are built on, uh, you know, statistics and they may have had like one statistics class or it's built on something more than statistics, right? These days with like large language models with generative AI. And so they don't know about this stuff. And what, what scares them is they don't understand how to interpret the results very well. I mean, one is some of these things are black box. Like if you, like Bonnie, you use ChatGPT. Do you have any idea how it answered your question? You probably don't care. Well, but it's a large were... language learning model, and it, it ended at about November 2021, so it cannot access the internet. It doesn't have current information, and it hardly knows who I am. That's what I know. Okay. Yeah, and that, and that's a, you know, that's a description of what you see from the outputs and the inputs, right? Mm -hmm. But inside of it, like, you know, do you really want to know? Let's have another call, right? So, <laughs> but, so if you think about this, if you have, you know, superb technologists who are trained in first principles of physics, right? And then you introduce a technology that's a black box that the output is a probability, right? So it says, I think this image, I think this like for quality control, it says, I think this, um, it, you know, image is bad. It shows a defect and um, off the line, 90% probability. And they're like, well, 90% probability. We need, we need to be a hundred percent where, you know, we need to, we have certainty, right? And I was like, Look, you have no certainty in life. Why do you expect that out of these things? You can make better decisions even with some degree of uncertainty as long as you understand the parameters. And so there's this hesitancy to kind of take these things. Now, look, operations technology people have been hesitant around IT too, right? Information technology. So there's this thing in manufacturing, maybe you've heard of it. It's like the OT-IT divide. You know, so the old joke is like IT breaks things and so they're not allowed in the plant, right? Um, and so data science and machine learning and artificial intelligence looks a lot like IT, except it's more black box. And so these operations technology people on the, on the plant floor, whether they're quality, engineering, production, maintenance, et cetera, they're a little nervous. And so this is a lot like the transition from radio to video, right? And so, you know, they're a little hesitant, they're a little nervous, they don't understand it, but they've got, but it's moving towards them and they've got to embrace it. And if they do embrace it, they get all these benefits, right? So most of my job is around change management and talking about these kind of issues uh, more so than, uh, you know, the actual details of the technology. So I hope that puts in perspective. Uh, it does. And I want to tell you that I started doing business radio back in 2011. I was doing my own radio shows before that. And it was all on the phone. I didn't start doing video radio Danny everybody until about four years ago when I discovered Zoom could be integrated into the engineering at Voice America where I send the link the ID mm -hmm. the meeting ID to my engineer and Andrew is in the background running the show for us on Voice America Business and they and I could do this live stream on my social platforms and also broadcast audio so I didn't have the ability to see Jorge, I want you to look up. I couldn't have said that to you when we were on the phone. I didn't know you were looking down. Put that phone away. Stop texting. And Shrini is, look at that smile. My goodness, he's a poster child for smiling today. And Josh, I didn't know that. I couldn't see the gorgeous. So anyway, it, it, we have seen changes. And trusting the technology, if you think I was sure about all this in the beginning, you're absolutely wrong. But it was interesting when I had to say, 
did Danny just finish his sentence? I'm listening. Did, was that a semicolon or a comma or a long M dash? What would Dan? Oh no, Danny's gonna. He's still talking. I can't talk over him. I had to imagine and hear what you were saying and what you were thinking and feeling. And now I can see you and watch you. There you go. Be careful. It's dangerous. I'm going to move on to Shrini. Thank you for the for the short name there. I appreciate that. I'm going to go to prediction number four. You say, similar to how an AI can generate a new image, consumers will gain the power to envision and create complex and custom products that can be virtually experienced and then be ordered to be manufactured as individual batches. This is personalization. This is exciting. Shrini, two and a half minutes, three minutes, go. Thank you, Bonnie. You picked up with so many adjectives in there, so I need to unpack it <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so let, let's take about how we, I mean, as a consumer myself, how I buy products today, right? I mean, the the manufacturing exists to create products, right? So if I'm ordering on Amazon, I'm picking up something that is already existing. But of course I have choice. I can have choice to what features I want, what I order or the product. And I'm relying on the experience of others. I see the reviews, I see the videos and pictures they posted and I can order, right? Now, in order to be a product designer, you need to be a technical expert. And what the generative AI is bringing in is that you can visualize it. You can actually start to come by. You don't need to be artist to produce an image. You can describe what you really want and you can create it. So think about creation of a product. Okay, you can use generative AI to create it. Now think about the physical manufacturing of that product. Now we have come a long way forward making, you know, all black cars be very standard to trying to address a lot more variety of products, right? But I try to see now, imagine yourself, you want to buy a sports car with different engines or a family who want maybe, uh, maybe a couple of feet more space in, in there in the trunk, for example. Can you order such a car? No because there are physical constraints today in the manufacturing. But the development in manufacturing is also getting more and more flexible with automation, with 3D printing and so on. But if you can visualize that, a freedom to create a product, freedom to visualize that experience before the product is actually manufactured using you know, virtual uh, technologies, you know, immersion technologies and so on that you could actually uh, immerse yourself in that product and how you experience that product. And think about the new future manufacturing that is more flexible, more adaptable. That's what I call as a batch of one. You can create one product on a manufacturing line with the same technology as you would create millions of products. That is possible. And that's what I, I believe in. So that's what we are working together in the, in the future manufacturing. Thank you very much. I'm going to move aside. I want you all to see. I went into, I use Night Cafe Studio where I have a umpteen credits. I could actually use it for free. And I asked it to create some manufacturing images of, uh, this was a man in an old fashioned factory. And then I asked it to do a more modern factory. And then I asked it to do a woman with a tablet in a factory. 
And then I asked it to do another woman using her iPhone in a factory. And I think I have one more of a man using technology in a factory. So I decided to do a couple of different variations, Srini, maybe in your honor, even though I didn't realize that. <laughs> and by the way, I have to tell you, Jorge and I have been chatting while I've been listening to all of you. And he says the comments back and forth from the panelists are so amazing. He's taking notes. And I said, don't worry, I will send you all the audio tracks. I'll send you the video and links to the live stream. So stop taking notes. But that's a, a wonderful comment, Jorge. And I'm not meaning to embarrass you, but I was saying even to my engineer, what an amazing panel. So thank you. Jorge, it's your turn. I have to move this along because we only have nine minutes left. Jorge, his prediction number two is AI, listen to this, will enable zero waste manufacturing. We haven't talked about this yet. By optimizing resource use, repurposing all byproducts. I think this is a circular economy we're talking about or circular manufacturing and minimizing energy consumption resulting in drastically reduced environmental impact. This is a wow. Jorge, two minutes. Talk to me. Unpack, please. Thank you, Bonnie. Uh, first of all, kudos to all the predictions from our uh, my peers here. Amazing. But yes, I predict that zero waste manufacturing will become a critical priority where products are going to be designed to really keep their entire life cycle in mind and leave a negligent environmental impact, especially on things such as electronics, fashion, even the food industry. I mean, at, at Steelcase, we are... Uh, getting much better at producing uh, high-performing office chairs that have a cradle-to-cradle -cradle that you can disassemble and reutilize all of those parts. But AI will enable this to be done at scale, whether it is for the same product but a new version of it or reutilize it in completely different industries. But our ability to use every single component for the duration of its life will uh, will be a game changer in just how we choose to produce things, how things are going to be uh, priced, uh, promoted, sold, and it's going to have an effect on our on our supply chain because things that you ship one where when their life is done, you might want to reship them elsewhere. And so it'll it'll be a game changer, but I think it's a much needed game change that we all need to strive for and hope for and work hard towards. Thank you very much. Yes, and and resource. Cons conservation, if you will, efficiency and environmental impact and saving energy, that's all should be top of mind for everybody today. We hear it every day in the news and it's something that we're all responsible for. So if AI can help with that, I think it's good. I have to change my background back to the logo. Let's move to Josh Leith. I'm picking prediction number one. Jorge mentioned one word in your prediction, but he didn't go into it. So we're safe here. I'm trying and you, you can all tell I'm trying to pick a different prediction from each of you. So we're not overlapping. We're covering a lot of territory. So Josh says, AI for food manufacturing. Aha, I'm hungry already. It's almost noon. Will increase quality and decrease the need for chemicals, pesticides, and maybe antibiotics used for produce and protein industries. With the help of controlled environments, AI-driven sensors, and robot farmers. Oh my goodness. Indoor farming in an urban area's vertical farming will become a majority source of fresh organic produce sold in the U.S. I'm going to stop there and let you continue with Josh. Uh, two and a half minutes. That's pretty much all we have before we finish wrapping up. Go ahead, Josh. Great. Thank you, Bonnie. Yeah, this, uh, as I mentioned, this is one of my favorite predictions too, because I do believe the largest area for automation potential growth is within the food industry from the processing factory side, which we're talking about here, all the way through the restaurant distribution, you name it. But if you look at just the processing side alone, there are 21,000 U.S. companies. Uh, it's about $750 billion of revenue last year. So it's a very large 
industries, you can imagine with a lot of human workers, a lot of processes, uh, a lot of shortcuts, though. So as we know, you know, within the uh, meat side or even produce, uh, there's a lot of supplements used that you know raise a lot of eyebrows when it comes to, you know, is this organic? Is this natural? What's this going to do to me long term? Well, if you can control the environment a little bit better, uh, you don't have to have those shortcuts, those extra chemicals, those extra uh, you know, different genetic uh, raising of, of both produce and proteins. Um, so with AI, uh, we actually have some companies now that are doing vertical farming. Uh, they are using a variety of different sensors, namely camera sensors that can go out and spot what is a ripe um, uh, tomato or what is a ripe strawberry. So one company that has perfected the strawberry, um, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to na- mention names, so I won't for now, but uh, they've perfected the strawberry. It's a, a luxury strawberry. They use our robots to come pick these strawberries, very delicate. Again, lots of you know different AI that has to be used to know those angles, how to handle those things, uh, but they're looking for different qualities in the, that produce based on those images that they're getting. So they can define that, uh, they can create a model for that, and then you know, say, this is what we're looking for for this perfect ripe strawberry. Um, but the same thing, we're working with a variety of different protein companies. So if you think of you know, chicken and beef and you know, all the uh, real fun processes that have to be done through those uh, environments, taking the um, you know, per se ripe cow to packaging it for your butcher, uh, there's a lot that has to be done uh, how do I know this is of high quality along the way? How do I know all my instruments are clean? Uh, again, different sensors, different technologies that can be used to kind of check mark those items uh, to increase both the safety of the goods, but again, eliminate a lot of the needs of the, the pesticides and the um, other methods used to modify those goods. Josh, what is a luxury strawberry? I, I don't know if anybody else wants to know, but I do. Where do I find one? What's it going to cost me per fruit? Am I allowed to mention company names here? I don't know. You are if okay, you want yeah. to. If yeah, this public. company, yeah, it, and uh, I haven't had them myself yet. They're they're about $60, I think, for like a pack of 10. The company's Oishi, uh, O-I-S-H. Uh, I'm sure Google will fix that for you. Somebody AI. will find it. Okay. Yeah, but uh, it, again, it's something that they're using, um, you know, generations old Japanese farming methods to come up with this perfect strawberry um, without the extra, again, pesticides and genetic engineering and whatnot. So it's interesting. It, yeah. So things that you can do just, you know, using traditional methods. Um, but once you take all the insects out and you take all the weather variances out, uh, you can control your environment. You can come up with some some very good produce. Josh, when you started talking about your prediction, Jorge, just give me one second here. When you started talking about your prediction, uh, you were saying, and when to know to pick a ripe, and before you said the word tomato, I channeled it into your head, because I, I moved to, to Tennessee, and I bought a big house on a corner with lots of gardens and some trellises. Ugly, I got to paint them, but a trellises, and I decided to plant tomatoes. So I went and bought something called Midnight Snack or something at the local hardware store for 20 bucks. The thing is now five and a half feet tall. It's put out probably 150 little tiny cherry tomatoes, and they are black skin. And then mm. as they ripen, they're orange on the bottom, but they keep this hard skin on them. So one of my neighbors saw me outside watering them the other day, and she said, Farmer Bonnie, I have to tell you, not, not my favorite thing to be called. But anyway, I'm honored. Jorge, quick comment. You get 30 seconds, 20 seconds. Go, quick. Yeah, I was just going to tell Josh, that's an awesome prediction. Uh, with the rise of uh, the development of biological tissue, for example, synthetic tissue could is it that far-fetched to think of a 3D printed steak that has a, a same flavor, but much less environmental impact? 
I know, Bonnie, with your face, you're probably not digging it, but you might not I, even notice. <laughs> I gave up red meat 30 years ago, but if you want to give me a turkey meatball with my own sauce that's manufactured, no, I don't think so. I haven't tried, haven't tried AI-produced or machine-produced lipstick either, and just... Uh, 3D printed. I want to say thank you to all of you. You have been an extraordinarily savvy and present and real, I don't use the word authentic, real deal panel and, and stick around. I want to take some pictures and talk, but I have a quick homework assignment for you before we say goodbye. I want you to all put up your second finger and you're going to wave no, no, no on the count of three. Come on, everybody, put up that finger. Come on, Jorge, Srini, everybody. And on the count of three, you're going to join me and say no, no, no when I tell you. So people say the future is already here. Our answer is one, two, three. No, no, no. no. Jorge, I want you to say it louder. No, 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 no. Oh, now we have it. Okay, that's because that was yesterday's future or that was the future 10 seconds ago, three seconds ago. I just finished that sentence. The future isn't here yet. We're all working to make it a better one. Everybody wave goodbye. Bonnie D signing off. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Bye.